ministry team here, and I'm also on the, the preaching team, which is why I'll be up here sharing a message with you today. Uh, so as you're finding your seats, I want to highlight a couple of the announcements that you'll find on your green card uh, about next week. So uh, Easter's already next week, hard to believe. So a couple things about that service. Um, for those who are planning to serve that Sunday, um, if you could just walk to church that day, that'd be great. Um, <laughs> no kidding. We, uh, parking's obviously uh, one of the constraints for us here at Branches. So if you're serving, we've got the lot over by the water, tr- um, the street department. Thanks, not the water. Um, so park over there and just walk to church, and that'll leave a lot of room in the parking lot here for those who um, are not familiar with the place and uh, might be coming for the first time. Uh, a couple other things about Easter, the uh, B-Kids, if you have a kid, you normally bring them in here for the worship and then dismiss them. Um, they're just going to go straight to the, the B-Kids room for their own special Easter service uh, that they're putting together for them. And 9.30 a.m., we're going to be serving light refreshments in here, so please come and uh, enjoy that and get to just interact with people uh, like everybody was doing just before we started here. So um, get connected, a good way to do that, and fill your bellies. And then right after service, we'll have the Easter egg hunt for all the kids. So it's going to be an exciting time. And I guess the last thing is portraits. Uh, Mayor's going to be doing family portraits before and after the service. Uh, so a, a fun way to get a nice picture while everybody's dressed up in, in their Easter's finest. So um, before we get started, I'll just go ahead and, uh, and pray. So, Father, um, <clears throat> all I got to say after that worship service is, is just wow. Um, it's just like the words from my message today just jumped off the paper and uh, into the mouth of, of the team leading ministry. And um, I got to admit, I don't have much left after that worship service. I just pray for for the energy and, and, the, and the passion to just come through me again. Uh, it's those words just overwhelmed about just worshiping you, praising you, giving you glory for all the wonderful things you've done. I just, I just pray for the hearts and ears of those people listening to your message today that they, they accept that and receive that and uh, just be drawn deeper into you because of it, Lord. Um, we just thank you for, for this time um, and these people here today. Amen. So today's Palm Sunday. Happy Palm Sunday, everyone. And I got to be real that I just was sitting there worshiping and I, I just was overwhelmed with emotion because I could not believe how well the words that we were singing and praising about are intertwined with what this message is. And frankly, I'm not even sure I need to speak anything today because it was just so closely reflected in how we worship today. Um, but I guess we got some time, so I'll go through it anyway. Um, so in Christianity, Palm Sunday is the, the day that we celebrate Jesus's triumphal entrance into Jerusalem. And as he was riding along the back of a donkey, uh, people were <clears throat> into town, people were lining the roads and, and singing praises to him, laying their, their, uh, their cloaks and on the ground, their garments on the ground in front of them and palm branches. And because of what that symbolism of the palm branches means or meant, we now remember this occasion by the name Palm Sunday. Um, <clears throat> so I spent some time researching why we call Palm Sunday or what the, what the symbolism is of those palm branches. But I'm not planning on sharing any of that with you today. Um, so it's not because I have anything against what the palm branches means or, or disagree with any of it. It's all great stuff. But I think if any of you go out and read 
up on it, you'll become just as knowledgeable about Palm Sunday as I am. Um, but what I did realize as I was digging into this was what the, what the palms really symbolize just didn't really, I don't feel like, connect with our culture today like the real intention of Palm Sunday is all about. Um, <clears throat> I, I just felt like when I was learning about Palm Sunday, I was, I was kind of missing the whole point of what it's about. So today... I'm not going to be spending time talking about the palm branches, and I'm not suggesting we stop calling it Palm Sunday. I, I, I think it's, there's nothing wrong with that. But what I want to do today is I want to read through the passage of Luke that talks about Palm Sunday and just kind of look at it from a slightly different angle than the palm branches. So you'll kind of see what this angle is, and I think the spoiler alert's kind of in the, uh, the, the worship we did today. But I think it's going to help us understand and hopefully appreciate Palm Sunday, um, not necessarily in a new or in a different way, but just in a way that I'm, encur- I'm encouraged will help enhance our understanding of the importance of this day. So a little roadmap for the service, because it might kind of bounce around a little bit, is I'll read through this passage, <clears throat> and then we're going to spend some time talking about creation, and then we're going to spend some time talking about Jesus, and then we're going to bring these two ideas together and wrap up the Palm Sunday message. <clears throat> So let's go ahead and get started in Luke, chapter 19, verses 28 through 44. After telling this story, Jesus went on towards Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into the village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, Why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, The Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. And in Matthew, they talk about spreading palm branches at that point as well. Uh, when When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. But he replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late, and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. So the angle I want to focus on today is in verse 40. It says, he replied, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. So what did Jesus mean by this? For me, digging into this verse unpacks a perspective of this passage that truly rocked my understanding of it. Get that? Yeah. (laughs) I know, I'm funny. Just let you keep laughing. I'll take a drink real quick. 
Okay. So <clears throat> when I think about this, I really think back to this song. Um, I'm drawing a blank what it's called, but talking about how if all of creation was created to give you glory, then so will I. So I think we got to start looking at creation uh, to really unpack this and help you hopefully get the same understanding that I feel from this. So um, let's take a look at the beginning, not of Luke, but of actually the beginning of the Bible. Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. So in the beginning, okay, this is not the beginning of a great story, although it is. It's not once upon a time. This is literally the beginning. So before these words were written down, before the uh, events of these words, there was God and Father and Son and Holy Spirit, in perfect unity, perfect existence, perfect omniscience, being all-knowing, perfect omnipotence, being all-powerful, and perfect omnipresence, being everywhere present or outside the bounds of space and time. But after these words, God did something so incredibly miraculous and powerful. He created. God didn't, just, God didn't do it because he had a need or um, it wasn't because there was something missing from his existence. Um, there wasn't anything lacking. It wasn't because he, he was lonely and needed any type of companionship from creation. But despite his perfectness, despite his fullness, despite his completeness, he created. God created the heavens and the earth. And then God created some more. God created light. Then God created the sky, the air that we breathe. God created land. He created the rocks and the dirt He created the vegetation that sprouts up from it, the trees, the palm trees, the grass, the flowers, the fruit and vegetables that we get to enjoy. Then God created the stars in the sky, the billions of stars and galaxies that stretch across the night sky. And when I think about this, I... I love bonfires. I mean, I love just sitting around the warmth of a fire with a, a group of people and um, just the, the companionship and the vulnerability that, that that moment seems to expose and just sitting back and looking up at the night sky and just admiring the vastness of it all and knowing that God created that. And so I, I Googled to try and put some perspective on how many stars are there in the sky or how many galaxies are there out there? And this educational website popped up, so of course it must be true, but you know, I'm not going to claim that this is actually truth, but this, it said that there were one billion trillion stars in the observable universe. So this isn't just a number made up by a kindergartner. This is actually a real number, a billion trillion. It's one followed by 21 zeros, okay? So big number. And then it admits that the universe expands beyond what we've been able to even see with our own eyes and technology. So if you want to gain some perspective on these omnis of God, being his omnipresence, his omniscience, and his omnipotence, then just consider that you know, next time you see the sky, that we're this five-foot-tall or six-foot-tall person on this massive earth in this massive, even more massive universe. Well, if God's creation is that vast, then just think about how vast God must be. 
He's greater than all things that he's created. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful, and he's everywhere present. So how vast must he be? How vast is his love, his grace, his mercy, his kindness, his justness, his patience, just everything about God? And the creation story continues. There's more to it. After the vastness of the night sky, God created all the animals and fish and birds. And again, I googled how many of those exist because it seems like there's an awful lot of them. Well, it says that scientists have discovered one and a half million different species of plants and animals. And we're still discovering more and more all the time. So God is just enormous beyond, I think, what any of us can actually comprehend. So let's continue and, and wrap up this story of creation in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image. <clears throat> to be like us, they will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God rested. God's creation was completed. The vastness of his creation was complete with the creation of man and women, of us. His creation was finished, so he rested. God was pleased with his creation. So the point to take away here is that God knew when to stop. And without getting too theological with this, um, I, there's an analogy I heard that kind of uh, makes this point, I think, clearer for me. is um, God's knew when to stop creation was, was like an artist knowing when to stop creating a masterpiece. So you think of you know, Michelangelo. He sculpted uh, the statue of David, which is a statue of the biblical character David. And um, I've actually had the chance to see it in person, and it's just amazing how detailed this thing is. And to know that somebody... Oh, hundreds, thousands of years ago, whenever it was, made this thing by hand without technology, or without modern-day technology at least. Um, but at some point, as Michelangelo sculpting that statue, he put his tool down and said, it's finished. He knew that any more work on that statue could have totally ruined what he had created and that it was completely perfect right where it was. God knew when to stop creating his masterpiece. But then what? Is this the end? Is this the, the end of creation that God rested and, and the story's over? Well, of course not. We know this is just the beginning of the Bible and it goes on many more pages. Um, so this is the beginning, but it, the beginning of what? So before I can answer this question, I think we need to step back and understand why we are here today. We need to understand why we are a part of God's creation and why we were created at all. So the answer to this question that God reveals to us is that God created us for the purpose of glorifying him. A couple verses I want to look at. First one in Psalms 19.1 says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. And it's here again, I think back to the So Will I song that we sang, that if the stars were made to worship God, if all of creation was made to sing glory and praises to God, then so will I, right? And the next verse here, I think, 
clarifies that. In Isaiah verse 43, uh, or chapter 43, verses 6 and 7. Bring my sons and daughters back to Israel from the distant corners of the earth. Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. So what does this mean? What does it mean to, to glorify God? So what are we supposed to do with the knowledge that we've been created to give God glory? I think our first instincts are to, to sing songs of praise and worship to him. But is there something else? Well, I mentioned earlier that God didn't create us or the world we live in because he had a deficiency. So it wasn't because he was lonely and needed companionship. God was sufficiently glorious before we were created. Our existence, therefore, does not add to the gloriousness of God. We don't make God glorious. Okay, so I've, I've come to really enjoy listening to uh, preacher John Piper, and I was listening to a message of his about glorifying God, and I just love what he says here. So I'm going to try and give justice to what he says explains this answer. And he says, we don't glorify God by improving his glory. We glorify by God by seeing and savoring and showing his glory. And he goes on to explain that we should think of our bringing glory to God like changing out the word glorify with the word magnify. So if we say again that we exist to, give, to glorify God, we could replace that by saying we exist to magnify God. But... In this case, we don't magnify like the way a microscope magnifies things, but rather like a telescope. So a microscope, you look at to see very, very small things look much bigger than what they really are. But as with a telescope, you're looking at incredibly vast things like the universe, the stars in the sky, and you're seeing them through this telescope more like what they really are. So we were created... Or so John Piper says that our lives are to be telescopes for the glory of God. That we were created to see his glory, to be thrilled by his glory, and to live so as to help others savor, see him and savor him for what he really is. I think if you, if you think back to the message last week, um, we had a Russian couple in from one of the vineyards in Russia, Natasha and Volva, and they shared... Uh, Volva share, or Natasha shared an incredible message that I think relates really well to this. So if you can think back to that for a moment, and if you didn't have a chance to hear it, I'd encourage you to listen to it on the website or the podcast. But Natasha had shared from her own experience how she came to give her life over to Jesus. And it was through the telescopes or the people that God put in her life that she did this. Now, she didn't use the word telescopes, but it was the same principle here that these people existed in her life to expose her to the glory of God. <clears throat> so we are created in his image to reveal his glory. But I think we need to pause here for a moment because this can make it sound like we are perfect people. But we know we are not perfect people. We sang a lot about that this morning. We know that we slip up and make mistakes and sin. And there's no one that's without exception to this. Romans 3.23 says, For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. 
So what about this sin? How does sin fit into the picture of creating, of creation and bringing glory to God? We were just talking about this beautiful creation that God made and how we are created to glorify him. But how can we glorify him if we're stained with sin, which separates us from God? How do we reconcile this? Well, it seems an awful lot like there's a missing piece to this puzzle, right? But there's good news. We've been given this missing piece to reconcile us so that we can see the glory of God. And this missing piece is Jesus Christ. If we want to be able to understand how we glorify God amidst the sinful world that we live in, we need to understand Jesus Christ. Jesus is exactly what all of creation points to. In the beginning, God created. This was the beginning of redemptive history. This is the beginning of God's plan for all of creation to bring him glory. And this would happen through the person and work of Jesus Christ. I want to look at a verse here, Romans 5, 18, 19, and 21, that I think explains this the best. It says, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So what can we do to reveal God's glory? I think the short answer is there's nothing we can do besides put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There's nothing that we can do to reveal the glory of God by our own efforts. We have to remember that this story in the Bible is not about us. It's about Jesus Christ. We are not the main character being exposed and revealed throughout the story of the Bible. That's Jesus. We are merely the beneficiaries of God's glory uh, Sorry, given to us through the grace of God of God through his son, Jesus. So it is by receiving this gift, by believing in Jesus Christ, our Savior, that we glorify God. It is when we are transformed by this good news through the power of the Holy Spirit that we reveal his glory to others, that we can become telescopes for others to see his glory. I think Ephesians 1 says this well, in verses 13 and 14. It says, And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Today we are privileged to live in a world having been given God's word in the Bible. And this Bible teaches us all that we need to know about God's glory and about how to receive that gift of grace that God's given to us through his son, Jesus. But in order to receive this inheritance through God's amazing grace, one of the most horrific yet loving and heroic things in the history of the world had to happen. 
God had to make us right with him. But we were sinners. We're stained. We're separated from God's glory. So how did he do this? Well, 2 Timothy 1.9 says, God called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Jesus Christ before the ages began. Christ is our redeemer, predestined to die so that we may be redeemed from our sin and death. And through Christ, we are made right with God. You see, it is through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross that we see the glory of God most vividly displayed through grace. Remember, it is through our faith in Jesus alone that we are made right with God. So without Christ, we're doomed, right? Without Christ, we are eternally separated from God and from his love. But it is through God's grace that he is glorified. And his grace is given freely to all creation. So all of creation that has received this grace can shout in praise to glorify God, our creator. So now let's jump back into this Palm Sunday message. And I want to reread Luke 19.40. He replied, Again, this is Jesus replying to the Pharisees who asked him to rebuke his disciples and followers from singing praise and worship to him as he rode into the town of Jerusalem. Jesus replied, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. So Jesus knew something here that the Pharisees did not. Jesus knew about the cross and everything else that I had just shared with you about creation and what he was going to do on that cross. He knew how and why all of creation existed. And most importantly, he knew what was about to happen and the magnificent, eternal importance of his crucifixion, his death on the cross. Since the beginning of creation, everything has happened according to the plans of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everything that has happened was already determined before those words in the beginning happened. The foundations of this plan was set before the universe was even created. Everything, including the fall of man through sin, was ordained for this very moment. Just imagine knowing the anticipation, the plans of the world, and having to wait over thousands of years for this very week, when finally, the savior of all creation would march into the city of Jerusalem where he would be handed over to die for our gain. What is about to happen in one, less than one week's time is the ultimate display of the glory of God's grace. All of creation has been waiting for this week when our savior Jesus Christ would be put to death on the cross. But the people in this time, worshiping God did not appreciate even yet what God, what Jesus was about to do and why he was coming. So as Jesus is riding into this city, people are worshiping him and singing praises. They lined the road with their cloaks and the palm branches, and they were doing this out of praise for the miracles that they had seen Jesus do, not for what he was going to do on the cross, because they didn't know, they didn't understand what was coming. Can you just imagine for a minute and appreciate the anticipation by all of creation for this moment? So Jesus responds to the Pharisees that even the rocks 
will cry out. And again, that song, So Will I, just thinking about all of creation existing to sing praise and worship and glory to God, the creator, for all that he has done. How can we who have voices to sing and to shout just sit back and not be compelled to worship for what God and Jesus Christ has done for us? When we understand, when we accept, when we believe in our purpose of our very creation, when we grasp the concept that our existence is solely for the purpose of giving God glory, then when we look at what Jesus did upon that cross, when we look at the moment, we must... Sorry, I lost my spot here. We must be left... When we we look back at what Jesus Christ did on the cross, our only response should be to sing worship and praise to God, to cry out and worship for what he did, for the lamb who was slain, for the reconciliation of our sin so that we can be made right with God. We should cry out and worship for this gift. When we accept our history, when we accept our purpose, when we accept that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior from our sinfulness, we will experience the fullness of God's glory in his grace and we will cry out to our creator. And if we are not able to cry out, if our voices remain silent as Jesus is marching in to Jerusalem, knowing what is about to happen, if our voices remain silent, then creation around us, the rocks will cry out and do it for us. The rocks would have cried out in worship if those disciples lying in the streets were told to be quiet. Jesus knew and so deserved to be worshipped when he entered in that final week of his life, of his ministry, of his purpose, that for those whom he was ordained to die and therefore save would have no choice but to cry out in praise. And if not for them, then all of creation, even the rocks that line the streets he rode in on would shout praises. Worship of Christ, the Savior, could not be stopped for the works that were about to take place later this week in the crucifixion of our Savior on the cross. And when we understand who we are and who Christ is and what he did on the cross for us, for his creation, my hope is that Palm Sunday has a different feel to it. Now next Sunday, uh, we know, is, is the greatest day in the history of, of creation, right? We celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is Easter Sunday. If you're wondering what that means for you, please come back next week. And I, I've explained what, some of the, the, what we're going to hear next week is in this message about what the death and resurrection of Jesus means. But the, the news is worth hearing again. And given what we heard today about Palm Sunday, I want to encourage you to just, just let it sink in. Let it sink in how God created everything in the universe. And he created man and woman. He created you. And he cares enough about you. He loves you with his vastness that he created you and made a way for us to be reconciled and restored into a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. That it is only through our faith in his son, Jesus, that we can share in his death on the cross to be forgiven, and we can share in his resurrection 
and receive eternal life. I want to read a quick passage here from Romans 5, verses 8 through 11. It says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. While we were still sinners, and since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. We can rejoice. We can praise God for the gift of his son, Jesus. And when you let this sink in, I want to encourage you to share this truth with someone else. I want to encourage you to to be that telescope for those around you. Maybe it's just an act of love or an act of kindness that helps show some of God's glory to the person around you. Somebody who may not understand this truth. Maybe you share this by actually verbally explaining the good news to somebody. Maybe you invite somebody to church next Sunday for Easter to hear more about this great news of what God has done for us, his creation, because he loves us so much. And my hope is that when we thinking about this truth this week, that we were created for God's glory, that when we put our faith in Jesus, we become a telescope to that glory for others. And that Jesus Christ died upon the cross for us to receive God's glorious grace. There's nothing that we can do to earn that grace except say yes to Jesus Christ as our Savior. And my hope is that when we think about these things, when we get to take in the vastness of creation this week, as you see the stars in the sky and the world around you, my hope is that you are just compelled to worship, knowing that all of these things in this world were created to glorify God. And so are you. And I pray that the Holy Spirit this week takes such hold of you that your bones would cry out in worship, if not your lips. Amen. And I invite the worship team to come back up on stage and um, feel free to start playing as I wrap this up. Um, at this point in the service, we, we do a, a final song of worship and we have ministry time here. And this is a time where you can come up. There's going to be people standing up front here that